0: Hi, everyone. It's Katie Anderson here, and I am thrilled to welcome two authors to my latest author interview series. Today, we are with uh, Matt May and Pablo Dominguez to talk about their latest book, Uh, What a Unicorn Knows. And I am so excited to be diving into the content of this book, what inspired them to write it, and some of the key lessons they've learned as well. Before we go any further too, I just want to say, I read the book this weekend and absolutely loved it. Uh, It really synthesizes so many key principles about lean and continuous improvement and how to apply it to really scale up businesses, no matter where you are in your growth stage. So welcome, uh, Matt and Pablo.
1: Thank you. Thanks.
0: Before we actually get started, I'd love for you both to um, short... Give a short introduction to yourselves so that our audience knows who you are and a little bit about your background. So, Matt, why don't we go with you first?
1: Okay. Uh, my name is Matt May and Katie and I have known each other for several years. It's probably the most important part of the introduction. Um, in terms of relevance to lean, I spent better part of a decade, uh, first part of this millennium, um, with a company called Toyota. So I got to breathe the air inside that organization for a bit in the sales and marketing um, distribution arm in North America. So not in the factory world, although my job was sort of porting over all the stuff that happened in the factory to, uh, you know, the knowledge, the the, the white collar uh, folks, knowledge workers. Um, So that was a fun exercise. It led to a book called The Elegant Solution. Uh, Took me on a path of authorship and speaking and consulting. And I met Pablo uh, 11, 12 years ago. Pablo, I always forget how long it's been. It's been a while. 11-ish. Yeah, 11-ish. And he was at a a large uh, company at the time, fortune level uh, company called ADP. And we started doing some fun uh, lean work there. And he left to go to a late stage startup. And we started applying this to, Lean, um, lean thinking to uh, the sales operations world, um, which was he was in charge of global operations. I'll let him say more about that. Um, but uh, we have been working together for over a decade and we think we have something to say about applying what is generally thought of as a manufacturing or production-based um, set of philosophies to um, the other end of the spectrum, which is you know digitally native companies, tech forward companies, Um, and especially those that are emerging from startup and moving into what we call scale up and on a path to growing up. So that's my introduction. Great. Cool, thanks Matt.
2: Uh, Pablo Dominguez, uh, currently operating partner at Insight Partners, which is a uh, venture private equity firm focused on investing in software uh, companies out of New York. I've spent uh, all 25 years of my career in the sales and marketing uh, arena. Uh, started in consulting, did two stints in public companies, then went to a startup and now have been here at Insight for about four and a half years. And to Matt's point, um, I've had the pleasure of working with him in a public company, a startup, and now um, working with the Insight portfolio to really roll out and deploy lean principles uh, to our companies as they scale. So excited to share uh, some of those experiences and uh, the impact we've had.
0: Yeah, great. Well, welcome both of you. And I'm based in the Silicon Valley. And so this, uh, so many people in my world come from these digital companies, startups, trying to scale, and they always are wondering, what is it that I do? And what I love about your book is it makes that strong connection that it's, you know, these principles that were so effective in a manufacturing environment can be applied in knowledge work, it can be applied in other industries as well, and it can be applied to companies at different stages along their journey. So really excited to be diving into that as well. And I also just want to say thank you to Matt for writing an endorsement of my book, Learning to Lead, Leading to Learn, uh, when it first came out too. So Matt, you already you know started to touch on my first question, which is what inspired the two of you to uh, write a book together and what problem were you trying to solve?
1: Yeah, thank good you. question. Um, I, I think the problem is um, it, it's one that everybody's sort of facing right now, um, which is how do you consistently grow and scale your company? Because that's really what business is all about. If you're not growing, you know, why are you in business? Um, but everyone's sort of facing the same challenge right now, and whether it's you know the the craziness of a pandemic three years ago or the craziness of uh, a 180 in in the market. Everyone's sort of you know casting about, looking for some sort of handrail, um, maybe a magic potion. Um, and what we've seen is that um, if you think about certain principles in a lean way, um, some of that magic actually appears. And and all the stuff that we've um, uh, experienced in the field with our portfolio companies and the kind of impact that we've had. Um, We thought, well, this is kind of a different spin. This is a different take on what is traditionally thought of as something that's probably just no longer even relevant. And by gosh, um, it sure is. So we thought we'd put it on paper. We'd make it practical, um, a little bit of philosophy mixed with a good bit of practitioner, uh, because we're both operators. Um, Neither one of us, um, we would never say that we're scholars. We don't actually study this stuff. We do it. Um, so this is, this is meant to be a sort of a playbook for, um, addressing those kinds of challenges. Thanks, Matt. Pablo, uh, do
0: you have anything to add on that or your, what, what inspired you personally to partner Matt yeah. on this?
2: No, I think the, to echo, of so where we started, like when we, when we did it, at, at a public company and we did it a couple of times, um, and saw the results, it was amazing. Right. And then when Matt and I worked together at a startup and saw the results, it was great. Now, that we've been working with the Insight portfolio, right? And we have, you know, over 500 companies in our portfolio at Insight. Um, I don't know what sparked the thought a couple of years ago where he said like, hey, why don't we try and put this down on paper to really provide these frameworks out to the community? Because Matt said it earlier, most of lean, um, you know, is tied to manufacturing. The lean startup's more about product development. And so I think we've done very cool things in the go-to market space and just wanted to provide that out there to uh, the community.
0: Yeah, great. Well, I I loved it. And let's let's talk about the title here and unpack a little bit about what a unicorn knows. I mean, most of us know what a unicorn is, this mythical, you know, horned horse creature that's, you know, rarely seen, but has never actually been seen. How does this relate to a business context and how did it inspire your title for the book?
1: Pablo, you or me? I'll start then you can
2: you can jump in. So um we're in the business our our company of of investing in startups, right? And scale ups. And so the the dream of I guess any founder is to uh one ultimately build, build a very successful business, right? And one of the sort of aspirations that has been out there is like achieving unicorn status, which is getting to a valuation of a billion dollars, right? Um and obviously uh the last year we've seen the number of unicorns minted skyrocket, right? To almost double or 2.5X what they have historically every year um, because of the, the situation in the market. But it's this sort of state of like, wow, can I achieve that billion dollar valuation and, and build a sustainable business? And what, what Matt and I started to see was, is it hard to achieve that status? Yes. What's even harder is to build a sustainable business and achieve that status. And so the book I think is called um, what it is, because we wanted to show what the best unicorns have done uh, to maintain sustainable business and what we see in our portfolio and in the market um, externally. What else, Matt?
1: No, that's it. It's um you know we didn't we didn't coin the term um, the, the um you know it was originally coined like ten years ago. Um, in a TechCrunch uh, article. And it was, as, as Bob said, any software company since you know uh, 2003 that has a you know either private or public valuation of a billion dollars or more. it's just been this sort of milestone that um, just kind of that that polarizing, uh, North Star for a lot of uh, uh, scale ups and startups. And a scale up, by the by the you've, you've heard us say it a couple times now. So you're probably going to ask me, what do you mean by a scale up? That
0: was my next uh, question. So there
1: you go. <laughs> a scale up is we like we, we, we to think of the, the maturity uh, of a company in, in three stages. And this is obviously vastly oversimplified, but um, startup scale up grown up and scale up is generally you know, like if you went to wikipedia or something like that it would say something like a a company that for the last 3 years has had growth uh, of 20% or more um so rapidly growing um oftentimes growing so fast even in times like this that um disciplines are have not been developed and sometimes just like any adolescent uh teenager um kind of get out over their skis. They're, they're, they're very impatient, um, don't necessarily want to do all the right things, make all the right decisions. And lo and behold, um, that's when potential failure can happen. And that's exactly what we try and avoid um, in our work. So we actually work on the advisory side of Insight Partners, which is a significant organization, well over hundred people in several different centers of excellence Um, aligned to traditional, uh, functions in an organization. So sales and customer success, marketing, uh, talent, product engineering. And we just try and help them remove the obstacles to growth and scale at the same time, making sure that the discipline that will take them beyond, you know, this inflection point and into the, that grown up phase. Um, you know, all that scaffolding doesn't fall down. So that's, that's what we, we see as a, that's what we call a scale up. Just in case anyone is out there wondering, what's a scale up?
0: I, I had that question as well, but it made a, it made a <laughs> lot of sense to me. And, you know, I, when I was reading the book, while you're focused at, you know, targeting these entrepreneurs in this scale up, um, you know, phase, I really found that all of the principles and concepts you talked about really could be applied no matter where your business is. They're, they're, you know, there's always these forces that are working against growth and, you know, continuing to make impact and create value in the, in the marketplace, and that, you know, as you mentioned earlier, that is really the essence of what any company or organization is trying to do, create value for its customers and continue to grow and thrive. Um, you know, so you talk about these four different forces that really work against any op- object in motion or business in motion, you might want to say. Um, am so you could describe these, you know, sh- these four principles, and then we can talk about how your model helps overcome the inertia of these.
1: Okay. Pablo, you, me, what do you want to do? I want to
0: go Pablo first and that can tag on.
1: I'll go Matt first because I usually do the last one here. Okay, so.
0: great. Matt first. <laughs>
1: um, Pablo was fond of using a metaphor uh for our portfolio companies uh around Formula One and Formula One cars. Um oftentimes um companies are trying to build you know, a Formula One car when they really might just need a Toyota Corolla, but it got us thinking about that visual metaphor of a Formula One car. And it's kind of timely because Formula One racing has kind of come to the fore in uh, North America, and especially United States, because of the Netflix series, Drive to Survive, which is actually an appropriate term right now for uh, you know would-be unicorns and other scale-ups. Everyone's kind of driving to survive. But we thought about the motion of the car, And we likened the Formula One car to a a scale-up. They're both um, very, very uh, high technology uh, entities, if you will, very, very um, uh, high velocity entities. And if you think about it, they both face physical forces in trying to move through time and space. So they face uh, drag, which is the resistance against air. Um, and there is an organizational equivalent to the physical force of drag. You know, um, you know, when decisions take too long, um, when uh, choices just seem to drag out forever and no progress is made. That's that's drag, and that certainly gets in the way of of scaling up. There is uh, friction. There's friction. Um, we've all experienced friction, whether it's person on person. Uh, whether it's uh, with a customer uh, customers face friction in anything they actually try and do and sometimes that that friction just gets in the way of uh, of any kind of progress. there's inertia. We've all heard of c- corporate inertia. Um, you know you got to get that car moving and it takes an enormous amount of energy um, and, but once those flywheels are spinning it takes less energy um, but it takes a lot of energy to slow it down. that inertia, finds its, its way into the organizational world as well. Sometimes uh, companies suffer from what I call big company syndrome or innovation anemia. All of a sudden, all that, that, that mentality that worked in the garage, you know, we're scrappy, we're resourceful, we're experimenting all the time, we're out there with customers, learning, iterating, we grow up, we have layers, we have budgets, uh, program mentality sets in, all of a sudden our cost balloon uh-oh, our pipeline isn't as robust as it could be and competition starts creeping in and we've kind of lost the, the entrepreneurial spirit and those chops, um, you know, that inertia can take hold. And then finally, the one that that, that Pablo loves and, and you know, Katie, you're mostly uh, an expert at as well, is waste. Yeah, Matt, let me
2: add something to what he said before I go into waste, because Katie, you mentioned it before, right? If you're, you know, if you're listening or you get the book and you're like, well, We're in a public company like this. This talks about, you know, unicorns and you you guys are investors in startups. Um, You know, Matt said it best. Like I've been in two public companies and part of what is unique about public companies is they're mature, but sometimes you do lose that entrepreneurial spirit. And so the principles here are really intended to help any company, regardless of size, bring back some of these principles. So whether you're at a hundred billion dollar company or 10 million ARR company doesn't really matter. It totally applies. And that last point on waste to me is my favorite because as companies scale, you accumulate more waste, right? You've you've got technical debt, you've got go-to-market debt, et cetera. And sometimes it's hard to look back and say, you know, how can I remove that waste to be much more efficient? Um, To stay on the F1 sort of analogy there, uh, it might be surprising to you all that the fastest time recorded to change four tires and fill gas in a car is under two seconds. Which if you think about it, you're like, there's no way that's possible, but it is, right? So F1 has done a phenomenal job of really eliminating as much waste as possible to drive as much efficiency as possible, which is amazing.
0: Absolutely. The, you know, the the, the tire, the changeover is so often used as an example in the lean circles of, you know, the, that high efficiency when we all the, everything's mm-hmm. working well together. So I really like how you've expanded that analogy to not just the turnover, but like the whole, the whole process in the car as well. Uh, I want to build on one of the things you both said here and about that uh, sort of the inertia and just sort of kind of starting to just sort of settle into what I might call and this is what I I really learned from the work Matt you've done um, with Lafley and Martin and the playing to win framework is like companies stop playing to win they start just playing to play and I think when you know I came from a lot of large organizations healthcare and other spots if we don't keep that playing to win mentality, which you know, connects to the the the, F, the Formula One race analogy too. We really lose that spirit of innovation, of, of getting better moving forward. So uh, I really like that connection as well. Um, so let's let's shift now into your, your model of how to overcome these different forces. I really like the acronym, how it relates both to you know the entrepreneurial mindset and, and the scale up model. And uh, how it really connects with those lean principles and how they can be used to create, you know, to really create this thriving, high performing organization. So, um, Matt, I'll send it over to you about describing the, the, the unicorn model and then you can both sort of riff on each other about, you know, describing some of the practices.
1: Sure. Um... Our unicorn model um, is is an acronym because five of anything is kind of hard to uh, remember, and there are five principles. Um, And the the acronym is scale, stands for strategic speed, constant experimentation, accelerated value, lean process, and esprit de corps. Um, And if you just listen to those principles, you would probably say to yourself, nothing really new there. Um, I know about strategy, I know about, you know, continuous improvement and con- continuous experimentation and iteration. I know about value, I know about process. Yeah, I know about, you know, team spirit, blah, blah, blah. What makes the those principles unique are two things. First of all, they it's not about any one of those. It's about how do you balance all five of those um, to move forward to, to to help you scale up and to do that um, in a way that's lean. And so there's a lean infusion into each of these. For example, you mentioned um, playing to win uh, the strategy framework that uh, Martin and Lath- Roger Martin and AG Laffley wrote a book about um, over over a decade ago um, you know, oftentimes we think about, strategy in terms of this big weighty complex document that we do every single year in January. And it looks an awful like, like, you know, like last year's strategic plan. Essentially it's a, it's a budget with a timeline and we kind of take a leaner approach to strategy and it is aligned to that playing to win framework, which asks five simple questions and I won't go into them right now, but it's a much leaner way of developing strategy. And it can, it is so lean that it can be done in a day with multiple teams simultaneously around a central challenge. And many of the companies in our portfolio that right now we're working with are struggling with some of the the changes that are happening around us, right? In the macroeconomic environment and the assumptions under which their strategy was devised in the first place, their current strategy have now shifted. And it's time to get back to think about and think through the choices that they have made. So strategic speed um, is sort of that that optimized speed of decision-making attuned to and aligned with um, forces of change. So, and we can go through each of these if you want, but that's the overall uh, unicorn model, those five principles.
0: It's great. And I highly recommend um, everyone listening look into the Plane to Win framework. And um, Matt and Pablo also have a lot of great information to hear in the book about how you can apply it and what some of the key questions to be asking. It's been so transformative for me and Matt's work, earlier work, when I first discovered this, has really helped me shift about how I think about strategy and how I help other organizations think about strategy too. So, super key. Pablo, maybe you can choose one of the other uh, four principles and talk about why you know why you think it's so important and a little bit about it.
2: Yeah, um, I'll pick. Oh, I'll pick the next one. I'll go in order. Constant experimentation, because um, I've already t- sort of talked about the lean process one. But um, let me let me dovetail into that from the strategy the strategy one. It's extremely critical for companies right now, right? Especially given the economic environment we're in and some of the headwinds, what we're seeing is the framework playing to win allows you to really get focused on where should I spend my time and where should I not spend my time? Right. I think companies coming into this year might've had aspirations to roll out new products, right? Go into new markets, uh, maybe do some acquisitions, et cetera. And, Um, you know, the advice we give with this framework is you've got to be laser focused and really put your um put the attention on where you think you're going to get the highest ROI versus trying to spread yourself too thin, right? So that's that's I think how you can, can simplify it um a little bit in terms of in today's market, but constant experimentation um we love um one because again, I think product teams are typically you know known for being agile. Uh, doing MVPs, right? Um, and I think the way we've been working with a lot of, of companies, you know, both public and now private, um, there isn't always a lot of experimentation in sales, right, or in marketing or in post sales. It's sort of, um, you get a lot of that uh, drag and inertia in terms of, well, we're not ready to deploy something, let's just wait, right? Versus what we've seen work very successfully is, why don't you deploy it first to one team, right? Let's test it with the Western region in the U.S. Or if you're deploying something in Europe, let's test in the UK before we go across all of of, of the markets, right? Uh, Whether it's a product launch, whether it's changes to quotas or compensation plans or field marketing materials, there's a way to test and iterate before you go broad to really ensure you're doing the best things possible. So again, not a concept that's always followed outside of product. And I think that's something... Uh, we see some of the best companies doing.
0: Yeah, great. When you're working with companies, you know where where do you suggest they get started, or like what's the what's the most common recommendation you have for how to get moving forward and o- overcoming these forces?
2: Um, it's interesting because you should start with strategy, right? Um, but it's hard, right? It's hard to convince leaders whether. Uh, whether you're a startup, a scale-up, or a grown-up, that their strategy isn't sound, right? So in theory, and in a vacuum, I'd say, you want to start with strategy because that will guide the entire company in terms of where you should be going. Um, I know Matt's been a huge proponent of trying to start there, but typically where we sometimes start is um, on the process piece, right? Because something is broken in the system Uh, customers can't get get on board quickly enough. We're not billing them correctly. It takes too long for a sale to go through the process. Uh, Implementation takes too long, et cetera. And so it it has been very natural for us to start there um, and demonstrate, look, we can, Matt, correct me if I'm wrong, on average, we've been able to take out 25% of waste in the lead to cash process. So imagine like you're decreasing time to value for your company by 25%, like that's been the average, right? We've had higher uh, amounts than that, but um, that's always a great place to start um, because one, you bring people together from different functions that work together um, and you can see the ROI immediately, so.
0: Yep, well, that echoes too with my experience too. You know, when I first started learning lean, I was working in healthcare and that was the end too, like let's solve some important like Critical problems in the organization, and through that started to see, you know, the engagement, the spirit of the core, uh, the the accelerated value that's happening, maybe in a different context, but then can get the executives seeing that um, strategy needs to be refocused, and we can't just like plop in our plans from last year and call that strategy to be really effective. I feel what Matt what Matt had said earlier. Um, I want to shift the the conversation. I have a question for both of you. Um, looking at yourselves sort of personally, and you know, Matt, you mentioned that you worked at Toyota for many years. I know you know um, my former friend and colleague, uh, Ken Pallone, you had some experience with Toyota University. And I'm curious for yourself, um, what is one shift in your own practices or like mindset as a leader that you learned during that time that's really been influential about now um, how you you know how you lead and how you help other companies?
1: Pablo's probably tired of me saying this, but my entire worldview, halfway through my tenure there, my entire worldview shifted from one that is sort of natural, intuitive, and I thought simpler, which is, hey, what do I need to do next? Um, what am I supposed to be doing? What more can I be doing to one of subtraction? Um, so I now kind of look at the world from what needs to be removed to allow me to go for, what should I stop doing? Um, what should I do less of, um, every single book I've written, every single, uh, workshop, everything that you read in what a unicorn knows is through that lens of subtraction, um, which it, it's not a glass half full versus half empty kind of duality. It's, it's really about, Given this glass, this container, how do I optimize, how do I optimize it? Um, and the path seems to be one of, uh, you know, how do I get maximum effect through minimum means? Um, so it's a little bit of a shift between what a, a lot of people think of lean as, hey, how do I do more with less? Um, and um, oftentimes the, the less focus is some willy-nilly cut that can be painful. Um, And doesn't really bring you more, doesn't really bring you any better. But that was a big shift for me. Um, It was a light switch that went off um, when I was at my wits end. Um, But it allowed me to kind of complete my, you know, the the last few years there in a way that, um, you know, just kind of changed everything for me. So um, Pablo's probably tired of hearing me say it. (laughs) I like hearing it every time.
0: (laughs) And... And thank you for helping us to think about how we can subtract subtract to have more value. I mean, that's what it's really about, Pablo. For your you, you know, if you think about what you know, what is something you've had to unlearn or shift for your own um, leadership approach to be more effective as you've gone through your own learning journey?
2: Yeah, no, I'd say for me and my team is probably tired of hearing this is um, learning to challenge the status quo when you are the status quo. It's very easy to say. Oh yeah, I inherited something. Of course, I'm going to challenge it and, you know, optimize through lean or whatever principles. But, uh, you know, I tell the team all the time: a year from now, what we created is the status quo, right? And we we should not be waiting for someone else or a crisis to come through to say, "Oh yeah, we should improve that," right? We should. This goes back to sort of continuous improvement, um, but not for the sake of continuous improvement. Um, So just knowing to challenge yourself when you you become the status quo and it's inefficient. is sometimes hard because um, it's yours.
0: Right, it's like being willing to be open to that and humble to, yeah. humble to imperfection and change. So thank you. Um, you know, you've written a book together, which is not easy. I have some experience of that, but at least I, I was the primary author, although I was collaborating with you know someone and telling their story. Um, I'm curious for you both, um, what is something you've learned with a new perspective Through the process of writing this book, Um, it could be either the process of writing it together or just the process um, as a whole. Matt, we'll go to you first.
1: Yeah, I mean, I never thought that um, you know writing a book book was a a team sport, Um, but it may seem anti-leaned. But to borrow (laughs) from um, from Jeff Bezos, who has this uh, principle, if you look at the Amazon principles, there's one in there that I think it goes something like two is Two is better than one. And he's usually referring to two uh, ideas are better than one idea. Um, And I think two brains are better than one. Um, So Paul and I don't think the same. Um, We push each other. Um, You know, we bounce stuff off each other. Uh, So there is, you can get insular, you know, very, very, you know, biased in your own, you know, start, you know, just thinking everything that you write is, is great. And then, you know, when you've got someone to say, well, "Wait a minute, it, what are you talking about?" It just doesn't. It, it, can you say it better? Like, subtract something there. It just doesn't make sense, right? So, um, that's it's it's kind of like I don't know. I, I liken us to you know Bernie Taupin and and Elton John, right? You know, one without the other <laughs> isn't quite the uh, isn't quite the rock star. So, so, who,
0: so who's Bernie and who's Elton? <laughs> Depends uh, on the day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, I'll leave that to imagination. How yeah. about for yourself, Pablo? What's something you learned through the process of writing this book?
2: I mean, I like what Matt said. I think, um, you know, obviously Matt, who's a, you know, five-time Pulitzer Prize-winning author, brings uh, the experience of writing books, uh, which I do not. But I think I think what I also learned was the fact that we'd worked together over 11 years, right, on at different stages of companies allowed us to gel in a way that if I, you know, if I'm writing something with somebody I didn't know or Matt or vice versa, I think, I think that also helped. So I think it having some similarities, but to Matt's point, we are drastically different in terms of how we think or operate, but I think we complement ourselves uh, significantly. So that was extremely helpful.
0: That's great. I like to say one plus one equals much more than two, right, yeah. when, it, when it comes to people. So sometimes maybe additions better than subtraction in some contexts. Um, yeah, true. Sure. You can help uh, subtract the ideas and get the clarity or on that. Yeah. So one final question for you both, and you can answer it um, separately or together. But what is a question that you aren't often asked about the book um, or we haven't covered here today that you would like to ask an answer or have asked an answer?
1: Well, there's always a tendency to, um, reduce, you know, reduce down to one thing, um, whether it's a book, whether it's a speech, whether it's, you know, what's the one, you know, just give me one thing. Um, that I can do that I can really, you know, just kind of take to heart and take away from this and share with my team or put into practice tomorrow. Um, and it's just always a question that um, gets answered. I don't know if this actually answers your your question what hasn't been asked, but um, it usually gets asked. You haven't asked it, so I'm going to ask it for you. Um, and I just want to say that that kind of misses the point of, of this uh, of this book. I don't I don't think I've ever written a book where that question hasn't been, Asked. And so I would say, if you take that view, you're kind of missing the point that all of these things are just like the parts of a Formula One car. They all sort of have to work together. Um, if one part isn't quite working, you know, the way it should, it brings all the others down. So there's a careful balancing here. Um, so um you know that's the that's the question, I guess. um don't think of it as one thing. Uh, think of this as a as a holistic mind shift that um, that you can take in into your workplace.
0: Thanks, Matt. How about you, Pablo?
2: My question would be, is this book really for me? Hmm. because I am X, right? or I work at Y company. This seems like it's not for me. Yeah. Um, and I actually think this book can be applied not only to every business model but to personal life and that's you know it's interesting because the principles literally can be applied to any situation um professional or personal uh so yes i think it absolutely can be applied uh across every single medium which i think is what's exciting i've actually put some of the principles at at work at home uh during covid uh, tried to put too much lean process at home and was kicked out of the house for a little bit because that did not go well, even though I thought it was being efficient. So um, it can be applied everywhere.
0: Yes. Well, and a key principle is uh, engage the people who do the work to come up with a solution. So, yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I
1: did not apply that.
0: Yes, yeah, so there go. good, good lesson. But
1: interesting that Paolo said that because um, we, we had uh, an early reader um, uh, a president of a home building uh, company got back to me and said, you know, um, this goes beyond my business. I'm actually going to bring some of this stuff to my church group. So to Pablo's point, um, it kind of transcends um, just that 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 notion of, of business only and um, a particular segment. Uh, of business, so broadly applicable, and if if we do if we did our job right, it's like when you see a good movie or listen to a song. Everybody hears the same thing or sees the same thing, but everyone's got a little bit different take on it. And those connections then form something that's a little bit more powerful than even what we probably were trying to deliver in the first place. So, yeah. Well,
0: that that's great. I mean, you're I agree with agree with you. You know, the, my the whole time I was reading the book. And I did. I read it in almost one one sitting. It's practical. It's applicable no matter where you're at. And there's tangible, you know, principles and practices you can apply in, in so many different places. And I love the stories and the the voice of of the book as well. And I'm definitely recommending it to my husband and his colleagues who all (laughs) work in the tech industry, who are right in that, um, that phase. But for anyone who's listening, this book can apply to wherever, whatever stage of your company is at, it helps bring in all of those key lean principles and apply them of how you're going to scale and grow and how you can apply it to improve yourself as well. Where and how can people get a copy of your book?
1: What a unicorn com is one way. If um, but if you're an Amazon um, user, just go straight to Amazon. Um, there should be three formats by launch date, which is February twenty first. Um, there should be a Kindle version, a hard copy, uh, hardback version, and um, not a lot of people have been asking audio, so audio will be available um, uh, by then as well.
0: Super, super exciting! So. This interview will be coming out right after the launch. So it'll be ready for everyone. So that's uh, that's super. Thank you, Matt and Pablo. It's been a pleasure talking with you here. Uh, highly recommend you all get a copy of What a Unicorn Knows. And I promise that you're going to learn something important and, and invaluable to help you help your company at whatever stage it's at to scale up. So thank you, guys.
2: Cool. Thank you. Yeah,
0: Hi everyone, Katie Anderson here of Exciting News. I have just read the book, What a Unicorn Knows and have interviewed the authors, Matt May and Pablo Dominguez, and they are giving away 10 free copies of their book to some lucky entrants of our giveaway. So be sure to enter below and check out the interview that I've done with Matt and Pablo about their new book, What a Unicorn Knows, you don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening. This is Katie Anderson. To learn more, visit my website, kbjanderson.com.